Welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. We bring you free-flowing conversations with top thought leaders in philanthropy and the nonprofit sector. Sit back, relax, listen and enjoy as we share ideas and discuss topics that are important, timely, and we hope will transform the nonprofit world. Hello, and welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. This is episode 17, recorded Thursday, June 21st, 2018. I'm Vincent Duckworth. I'm a fundraiser and a partner with Betrayal Group. We are a national agency focused on bold leadership and transformative fundraising. In this episode, our eighth of the year, we are joined by Brent Brudis with the Partnership Group, Dale Boniface with Spectrum Marketing, and Rachel Hutchison with BlackBod. Our topic, where does sponsorship fit in the nonprofit sector? Is it underused or overplayed? The interplay of sponsorship and philanthropy has and continues to play a large role in the nonprofit sector. In addition to this interplay, one of the abiding questions is the question of what exactly is sponsorship? Our podcast has lots to say on both of these areas and much, much more. We have three fantastic guests with us today, all experts in sponsorship and all leaders in the sector. Join us as we discuss the role of sponsorship in the nonprofit sector. All this and more coming up next on Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. We have three great guests with us today. They're all experts in this topic. They're excited to be here. I'm excited to be here. Let's get started. Joining us from South Carolina is BlackBod's Rachel Hutchison. Rachel is well known to many of my colleagues, including my two business partners at Vitreo, Andrea McManus and Scott Dexheimer. But this is the first time I've had the chance to get to know Rachel. We're thrilled to have you on the podcast. Welcome, Rachel. Hey, it's great to be here. Rachel, you have been with BlackBod for over 25 years. You're an accomplished podcaster. You have a widely watched TEDx talk on corporate social responsibility, and you continue to serve on many boards, including the AFP International Board and the board on the Giving Institute. Uh, thank you for that. As you know, the trail recently became a member of the Giving Institute. Before we get into our main topic today, I'm, I'm wondering if you can share with our listeners a bit about the Giving Institute, its mandate, and, and what your role is with the Institute. Sure, Vincent, I'd love to do that. So I'm the current chair of the Giving Institute, and what this group is is it's an organization of for-profit firms that work predominantly or exclusively with nonprofit organizations, you know, in the field of philanthropy. So these are firms that do things like um, provide campaign counsel, strategic planning, executive search, um, technology solutions, um, uh, prospect research, all of the different, um, you know, either staffing, infrastructure, wise guidance, expertise, fundraising um, uh, services that that nonprofits rely on deeply to help do their work and um, raise money for their missions. And so it's a wonderful group of people. Typically, the person representing the firm is either the CEO or a senior executive, and we all put our competitiveness aside when we walk in the door, and and we um, convene to learn together or share insights about what we're hearing and seeing in the market. Um, and we also, through the Giving USA Foundation, which is our kind of sister organization, produce Giving USA every year. Just came out on June 12th. And that's a 60-plus year study of giving in America, which really speaks to some very interesting um, trends. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, giving's up all over the place uh, from that report this year, isn't it, Rachel? 
Yeah, it is, and it's up about 5%, and it's past $400 billion for the first time, which is good. And, and what the report does is it, it looks at um, the, where the money is coming from, you know, individuals, uh, bequests companies, et cetera, and what the trends are over time, and also where the money is going to, to what sectors in, in the nonprofit sector, healthcare, arts and cultural, et cetera, and has different chapters in the book or the, the digital version that speak to what's happening, how are mega gifts affecting um, giving, how are donor-advised funds affecting giving, and it, it gives us this really interesting view across a long period of time to things like how do recessions affect giving, how long does it take to rebound. So it's a very meaningful um, study. Um, I would encourage everyone to look at it. Even if you're not in the U.S., I know that we are on the line here with a number of Canadians, it's still very meaningful um, in speaking to overall donor behavior um, and who's supporting what. Yeah, we pay really close attention to it. Thanks, Rachel. Also joining us today is Brent Barudis with the Partnership Group. Brent lives in Nanaimo, but today, as he often is, he's traveling across the country. Brent is well, somewhat famous for his email replies, where in the footer, he lists uh, all of his upcoming travel uh, and his travel schedule. And so if I'm reading your schedule correctly, Brent, you're in Regina today. So welcome to our podcast, Brent. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. If you have done a sponsorship naming inventory in Canada, it is very likely that Brent's name came up or that his company did the work. Brent is widely recognized as one of Canada's leading authorities on sponsorship I have known of Brent for much of my career, but I really got to know him as a friend and a colleague when he lived and worked in Calgary. Brent, we're going to tap into your sponsorship acumen in just a few minutes, but for right now, I'm wondering if you might share with our listeners, what's it like to live in beautiful Nanaimo? Oh, we were just talking about it. it yeah, uh, I know, that's, uh, but, but they didn't hear that, so they, they get to hear it again, so don't mind repeating yourself. It's it's amazing. It's uh it's Canada's uh, tropical rainforest. The island in the Nanaimo area is, is considered a tropical rainforest for those of us in the rest of Canada that uh, deal with snow day in and day out from basically October through April in some cases or September through May in others. Uh, we seldom get snow. Uh, it disappoints my 13-year-old daughter. Uh, but uh, without even without snow... Uh, I'm an hour and a half drive from a mountain and great skiing. At the same time, I've got an incredible view of the ocean or the mountains. And it's amazing because the, the island itself is just basically all mountains and they've had to blow out mountains to put in roads and houses and everything else. It's, uh, uh, and it's a community that continues to grow. And uh, eventually, when they put in a high-speed ferry across from downtown uh, Nanaimo to downtown Vancouver, I think what we'll see is that Nanaimo becomes a suburb of of, uh, of Vancouver, no different than Langley or Abbotsford or Surrey are. And it's uh, it's a pretty amazing opportunity right now because you live in a community. I live in a community of 85,000 people, and in 12 minutes, I can be in downtown Vancouver by helijet or uh, or float planes. So that's cool. Now, the biggest question that everyone's going to ask, though, who doesn't know, is that where Nanaimo bars come from? You know that that, <laughs> lo- that lovely treat. Absolutely. You all know? And okay. when you come to uh, when you come to Nanaimo, you can go on the Nanaimo Trail and Nanaimo Bar Trail, and there is 
17 stops and you get to test 17 different types of Nanaimo bars. And I think still my favorite, though it may not be others, uh, the uh, Pirate's Chips restaurant serves a deep-fried Nanaimo bar, so it brings me back to my days at Calgary Stampede. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks for that, Fred. Finally, joining us from Vancouver, or close to Vancouver, is Dale Boniface. This is Dale's second second visit. Thanks, Dale. Second visit to our podcast. He first joined us way back on Episode 5. The topic was capital campaigns in the 21st century, what's changed and what hasn't. It was a fun episode, uh, so welcome back, Dale. Thanks very much. It's great to be here again. I look forward to uh, to joining Rachel and Brent and Rachel, I'm really interested about mega gifts and how that's affected um, how that's affected giving. I'm, I, I look forward to our our dialogue throughout this. Awesome, and just because it's it's the way our podcast rolls, uh, we can go down that road even if we have a title of sponsorship. So thanks for bringing that up, Dale. Yeah. Dale has a has had a wide ranging career both as a fundraising practitioner and as a sponsorship and philanthropic naming advisor. In my world, he is most widely known for his work in brokering partnerships with both donors and institutions on transformational naming projects. Dale, your expertise in this area is unquestioned, but before we get to all of that, I did see in your bio, and we didn't talk about it last time, that one of your passions is fly fishing. Ah. I I love to fish, and I've always wanted to pick up fly fishing, and I'm wondering if you can share, you know, how did you get into the sport, and what do you love about it? Vince, I appreciate it. Fly fishing for me is, uh, I'm sort of one of those ADD kind of guys that, um, can't, can't stop and, uh, has five or six things going all at the same time. And, uh, I find that fly fishing is one of those things. First of all, you're on the water, so it takes you to another level. And, uh, secondly, what, what's important is it's, a very light line, a very light rod and reel, and uh, you, uh, the environment, and a, a wonderful creature on the other end of the other end of the line. If you're lucky, uh, I think they call it fishing rather than catching. And so, whether it's been uh, fishing in Arkansas in the Ozarks. Uh, for, for um, uh, bass, or it's um, my favorite is being in the tropics in blue water and fly fishing, targeting very specifically uh, uh, teenage sailfish and teenage marlin, all catch and release. I'm a huge, huge catch and release person, so uh, um, uh, it's uh, it, it's uh, it's a passion and one that uh, you don't want to get me on because I can go forever on. So, um, Well, I just wanted to, I wanted to get a little slice, and I'm a little jealous, and I do love your joke. Well, it's not really a joke about uh, uh, fishing, not catching. So yeah, thank no, you for sharing. <laughs> it's true. You live, in, um, you live in part of the world in Calgary with the Bow River, which is probably some of the best drift fly fishing in the world, if not the best. So. Yeah, we we see people out there all the time. It's fantastic. Good for you. Now, uh, Brent just sent me an email saying that I uh, he was having trouble hearing me. Are you guys hearing me okay? Yep, no problem. Uh, yes, we are. And Brent, it's way better you? now, Vincent. Perfect. Okay. Um, I didn't selectively mute you, Brent. Uh, I wouldn't if I could. So uh, let me know if <laughs> it, it gets uh, worse. 
Okay, let's get started. Thank you all for joining us on this, our, our 17th podcast. Today's topic, where does sponsorship fit in the nonprofit sector? Is it underused or overplayed? Sponsorship and philanthropy have played and continue to play significant roles in the nonprofit sector. In some circumstances, one leads with the other supporting, and at other times, they are the solo performer. The title of our topic today has a question related specifically to sponsorship. Is it underused or overplayed? This question came up because of our experience in working with clients across the sector. We have been in situations where we have been asked how much of a role should sponsorship play in our campaign. We've also been in situations where we are told this entire campaign is about sponsorship. We, when, when should we be looking at sponsorship as a funding stream? How does it work alongside philanthropy? Where can we use it uh, more? And when should we be using it or where should we be using it less? Rachel, let's start with you. What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? Oh, wow. Of course, you had to start with me. So, um, you know, I'm one of those people who likes to to, um, pick apart language. Sorry, my father was an English professor. But, you know, the word sponsorship itself is sometimes um, confusing in in the the world of... Sometimes? (laughs) Yes, all the time. All the time. So, you know, I'm here at Blackboard, I run our corporate social responsibility, and so I'm often the person that outside parties are coming to to ask for money, whether it's for a grant or a donation or a sponsorship. And we do all of those different things, but many the incoming uh, many times the incoming body kind of connecting with me uses the language in a varying way. And so I have to look at what they're actually asking me, and I then have to put it into the category of, is this a philanthropic donation they're asking for? Is this a a sponsorship or a a potential marketing opportunity for us? And that's really the first lens, because I have to figure out who the right person is in the business to actually evaluate this, because you look to achieve different things through um, different mechanisms. So when we're making a a philanthropic grant or we're making a donation, we just made a $25,000 donation in honor of the opening of our new world headquarters. We did that to be charitable within the very community that the building is in. So we knew what our goal was. So the first issue and hurdle is just do you know, do you nonprofit know why you're approaching that that? Um, funder and what you're looking to accomplish. The part I know what my think, answer is. I'm curious to think. I'm well, curious to hear what so the, the part that gets gets clunky is that part's clunky. First of all, because I have to ask, dig in a little bit, and and help. Often it's not clear. Um, I'll actually actually have to ask them, you know, what are you seeking to accomplish here? But one thing that is clear, and I'll just be very direct about it, is that when people are often approaching us, they're doing it because they see us very simply as a source of money and not very much else. So there is a real gap in the nonprofit sector. People coming to us thinking they're successful, they have money, we want some of that, and they're not thinking that we might have goals and objectives that we might could align on. Um, and and really what we're looking for, whether it's with a big P or a little P, is a partnership, a connection, a relationship. And the vehicle through that to, to achieve that might be sponsorship, might be um, a straight donation, it might be that we're going to volunteer deeply and give our expertise. There are lots of different, or it could be a mix. So that's where I would start oh. this conversation. All right. Who wants to dig in on that? I, I would tend to agree to a extent I think that there's there's truly a lack of education that exists both on the the 
organization asking for money, which in my terminology is the property, whether they're a not-for-profit or a charity arts organization, university, doesn't matter. Those people that are asking for the money are properties, and they don't know what sponsorship is. They don't know the difference between sponsorship being uh, uh, a marketing channel, as Rachel alluded to, or whether they're really just coming to them because they're the RBC or TD Bank and we know they have lots of money. And the second thing is that we in the sector that are properties and asking for sponsorship, we don't understand it, but quite often the companies that we're going to don't understand it. And they say, I want to make a donation. Please give me a receipt, and here's where I want my banner to go, and here's how many seats I want at the table, and this is how long I want to speak for, which is a sponsorship because it's all marketing exposure according to Revenue Canada, and yeah. they don't deserve or they're not allowed a tax receipt. Yeah. So I think – go ahead. Sorry, go yeah. ahead, Brent. No, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I was the last point that I was going to make on that was just the fact that that we need to educate in the same way that for running a capital campaign, we want to be able to educate people on the mission or on the case for support and why this is important. But we also need to educate and take time and effort to educate our our potential sponsors of why it's, they should be doing a sponsorship versus a uh, gift or a grant, or why they should probably do a grant instead of a gift or a sponsorship. It's working mm -hmm. with them and helping them to be successful. That's great. Dale, you wanted to weigh in? Um, well, first of all, I think sponsorship's a dirty word. And, <laughs> and, uh, Wait a second. You just, you just gave us the tagline for this podcast. Sponsorship, <laughs> it's a dirty word. It's not my favorite word, i got to tell you. No. Yeah, okay, no. keep going. Tell us about that. Why is it a dirty word? Well, I, I think first of all, I agree with I agree with uh, Rachel and Brent. It, it, it it's totally misunderstood. It's misunderstood from a corporate standpoint, but it's also understood or misunderstood from a uh, not-for-profit charity or uh, a for-profit organization uh, that is looking for a quote partnership. I think it's a partnership. I also believe that. Uh, corporate donations, and I'm really going to stir the pot here, but I also think that corporate donations uh, or that sponsorship is really, or corporate donations is a partnership. Uh, and there is a real gray area between donations and uh, sponsorship and expectations on behalf of both parties. And so... Um, you know, uh, bottom line is, and, you know, we've all facilitated a great number of, quote, sponsorship deals, which I'm now going to call partnership deals, whether they're title naming, uh, sub-naming, or just supply agreements. They all have a business uh, that, 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 whether it's a donation or not, they all have business objectives attached to them. And um, whether it's an access strategy, I mean, Rachel just talked about a $25,000, quote, gift um, to a community in which they just opened up their head office. There's, there's a 
reason for that gift. It's an access, in many cases, it's an access strategy. A lot of organizations leaving an environment, um, or leaving a city might call it a, an egress strategy. Uh, you know, looking to give back, uh, on, on, on the way through. So, uh, I, I agree with Brent and Rachel. I, but I also believe that um, it's a totally misused word that should be struck from the English language. I'm not sure I agree with both of you on the sponsorship is a dirty word. <laughs> I agree that there's there's some there's tones, especially in Canada, there's undertones to it, um, and maybe there's a different word. But I'm not sure it's partnership, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Because the partnership in Canada, and I'm not sure how it works in the states, but uh, denotes a um, a specific legal entity between two businesses. And a lot of the deals that we've been had our clients doing when they did call them a partnership, uh, once the legal group got their hands on it at the corporation, they said this cannot be a partnership because we are not putting together a legal partnership between our two organizations. But I Brent, think. When, but but what happens though? And apologies for interrupting. But what happens so, is any time you take a. It, it, our experience in terms of both donations and uh, partnerships slash sponsorships is every time you put a lawyer in the middle of that exercise from a standpoint of the business deal, the tone and the structure and the understanding of the deal goes sideways. I'm going to get hate mail from lawyers, but keep going. Yeah. It's the other one that I've seen used, and it was actually uh, World Vision Canada because when they talk sponsorship, they're talking about, you know, your $49 a month to a, um, a sponsor a child overseas. So it was really hard for them to go into a corporation and say, we'd like to talk to you about sponsorship for the simple reason that people would say, we already sponsor 12 kids or whatever it is. So they use the term corporate engagement. What do you think of that? Like it. Yeah, you know, the, the word is loaded. You know, I just actually just talked to one of our senior marketing people about how overused the word partner is and how we have to define even for ourselves who tip it, who really is a partner and what that means. But I think where I fall on this issue is when we say that sponsorship is a dirty word, sometimes like the word vendor is is one too that I don't love. And I think that it's because um, the way people behave and talk about sponsors and vendors, they're, they're implying that these are bodies that are really on the outside and they're just here to fund things. They're not really of us. They're not one of us. They're, they're kind of attaching themselves to us. And, and, you know, maybe that's the way it used to be. But in, in many of the relationships that, that I manage and that we have through Black Blood, we really are a part of that ecosystem, a part of that community. And yes, we are choosing to invest. And sometimes we are choosing to sponsor. Sometimes we're donating. But we don't want to be seen as just like buying space because we really are a part of that, that ecosystem and that's the part that that many groups struggle with is how to embrace um, and handle the fact that those roles are um, combined yeah I mean if you look at if you look at for example the uh, campaign uh, capital fundraising campaign for a technical institute like SATE or NATE in Alberta Mm -hmm. uh, BCIT uh, here in Vancouver and, you know, every, every, uh, province and state 
typically has an exceptional um, uh, technical institute. Um, you you look at you look at those, and the, those are while there are individual donations um, being made, often those quote donations are being made in uh, corporate partnerships, corporate quote sponsorships. Uh, they're not vendor necessary vendor relationships, but they are organizations that depend on um, the the flow of well-educated, trained individuals into their industry. And from that standpoint, there's a real importance in terms of that, again, quote, sponsorship from a fundraising standpoint because they have it, – it, it, because for that institution, it has a far greater effect and benefit for a corporation than necessarily an individual. I think that's a special case, and I agree with you, um, Dale. I I, I, um, I would like to um, uh, just a second interject for Rachel. Um, Dale made an assertion that um, perhaps there's these things are closer than we like to think they are. I, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, Dale. And um, I'm not sure what you mean. By uh, that. Sorry, uh, the, uh, that, uh, sorry, I'll back up. Um, uh, you, you you made the comment that uh, Rachel's uh, uh, twenty five thousand uh, dollars Blackbot's twenty five thousand yeah. dollars commitment to Charleston, um, uh, uh, although Rachel called it philanthropy, was also had shades of, of corporate philanthropy or or, or corporate engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is that right? Is that what I heard? Absolutely. Okay, so Rachel, I'm curious. Is that, I'm curious. Is that how how you would see it too, or? Or is it is it is it feel like it's more pure philanthropy from your perspective? Um, well, it's you know that's a really interesting question. So the way you were describing the gift, and, and I think many people do, many organizations do make gifts when they enter a market, when they're seeding a market, they're moving into a new place. And uh, just FYI, our world headquarters is is less than a mile from where our, our other building is, so it's not like we moved into a brand new community. But we are consistently charitable and we want to, we want to consistently give back and we do. And so I'm not sure how you separate the idea that is a, that a company is an engaged, um, citizen and philanthropy. I think the two very much go together. You know, we often look, you know, when we said, hey, we're going to build this new, um, headquarters, we, you know, we're going to do this. We made a donation then and we made a donation when we moved in because we have this commitment to be very deeply engaged in our community. And we really did it to be philanthropic. Um, we, by the way, gave to Dean Norton Low Country Children's Center, which helps um, children who are victims of abuse. And they were expanding their services to actually serve the Canoe Peninsula, which is the area in which our building is geographically located. There are other times when a company is, you know, opening up a brand new operation in a, you know, different country or a different place where they're using philanthropy to raise awareness about who they are, to say, hey, we're here and we care about this community, which I think arguably has more strategic brand goals than the donation that we just made, which yeah. was, yeah. I would call that's, what I, that's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to dig into because um, I, so, I thought it was a really interesting comment. Go ahead, Brent. It's uh, I agree with the both with Dale and with Rachel on this from the but from the perspective that when I'll never forget I was speaking at the Conference Board of Canada to the Community Investment Group and I said that you know 
sponsorship exists in all of your worlds, and uh, giving altruistically really doesn't exist anymore for corporations. Um, and somebody said, put up their hand, actually two people did, and said, hey, that's not true. We give only because we care. And these are big Canadian corporations. And both of them said, we, we give because we give where we, we work. We give where our communities are. And I said, well, you have your name on such a building. Why did you put your name on the building? And they said, so our employees could be proud to be working in the community. And I said, that's the business goal and objective. In the same way... Philanthropy. Yeah. And so you can label all this stuff whatever you want every time, and there are different words for them. And I think, and I've said this lots to our clients, sponsorship or corporate engagement works or doesn't work, not based on the, necessarily the partner, the amount of money, the activation. It's on communication. And if you want the community to know that it's a gift because you care, then let's call it a gift. If it's um, in the press release and the communications and those sorts of things and for our employees, and if we want to call it a corporate engagement slash partnership slash corporate engagement, then we'll call it that for another action that we're undertaking. But it all comes down to communication and the message we're trying to deliver. Yeah. yeah, but I got to tell you that I believe companies can give to be purely philanthropic just because they care. Now, I would argue that y- y- putting your name on a building has a whole lot of other implications to it and isn't just purely philanthropic. But, you know, when Blackwood made its first million-dollar gift to the International African American Museum that's being built here in Charleston on the remnants of the wharf where the slave ships docked, we gave that gift because we felt moved to do so. We didn't plan on making that gift. We didn't budget for that gift. You know, going into the year, we just said, you know, we have to do this. And we did it. And it's not, that's really different from a gift where someone puts their name on the building. Absolutely. And that's an exceptional gift. That, to me, yeah. that, I mean, that's, an ex, that's extraordinary and it's timely and, um, you know, those are the kinds of gifts that should be celebrated. And there's always exceptions out there. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I see. I I see this as a very strong exception. Sorry, Dale, I, I didn't mean to cut no, you off. Not at all. I, I I would agree 100. Yeah. percent Here's something that happened to me once. Somebody said corporations can't give gifts, and I, Rachel, I'm using this as an example because gifts are emotional. And gifts are, uh, have meaning behind them and they have heart and soul. Like when an individual gives a gift, <laughs> it's based on all those elements. But corporations are not human living decision makers. It's the people inside Blackboard that said, we need to do this. Yeah, well, you're making me laugh because, like, what do you think companies are made up of? They're made up of people, of course. Like, so yeah. people, it is. It, that brings us back to the very beginning of this conversation where 
you said, you know, what's broken? And, and one of the things that's broken is, is nonprofits just aren't skilled about how to approach a company for whatever kind of engagement. And companies don't necessarily know how to engage with a nonprofit. And one of the things that I consistently tell people is they say, what advice do you have? And I said, treat me like a human being. Like, invite right. me to have coffee with you at your favorite coffee shop and don't right. ask me for money the first time. We'll just get to know each other. And over time, we'll develop a relationship. And and then I will consider ideas. And But if you zoom right in and you treat me like a company, I am not a company. I'm a representative of the company and I have emotion. Right. And I can tell you that when our former mayor, Joe Riley, pitched the idea of this gift to our CEO and came back again and talked, it was an emotional you know, there was a part of it that was emotional. Human beings, you know, decided that this is the thing that we were going to do. Right. So I don't think so, you can actually separate that either. So I, I think you gave, you gave us a great segue, though, about, and I'd like to dig into this, about relationships and sponsorship or dealing with relationships and dealing with corporate entities. Right. I'd like to dig into that a little bit because a lot of our listeners are very interested or need to be or would like to be educated on you know, how how do they avoid treating a corporation like a soulless entity? So so from my standpoint, having facilitated a, a reasonable number of large uh, naming, corporate namings uh, across the country, my my experience has been on a professional basis that corporations are looking for one of three things access to a community, egress, or uh, in, in terms of naming specifically, or uh, a brand change uh, renaming. And those, those three elements, or one of those three elements, or a combination of, are the ones in which uh, cause organizations to put their names on uh, on buildings for, for a long period of time. And if you if you are a not for profit and you have a building naming or an arena naming or a stadium naming and you want uh, an organization to be involved you better be very clear about what their strategy is um not just their mission, but what their strategy is in terms of access in that community. And you better know that uh, and better ask all those questions and sit and listen um, in in early meetings and have a long, slow-pitch discussion um, using the corporation's agenda uh, not your agenda in terms of timing and when you've got to do this, when you've got to get this deal across the line, is it's got to be based, on, I think, on a corporate agenda or an individual donor's agenda, their timing, slow pitch, stewardship, all the way through until such time as the corporation chooses and the people in the corporation chooses to cross the line. Hmm. Brent, I heard you giggling. It's a, it, he's nailed it, and Rachel nailed it too. I mean, Rachel, when you said that uh, you want to be treated like a human being and not a corporation, and you want to go have coffee, and you want don't ask me on uh, on the first date for money or to marry me. 
you've talked about let's get to know each other first and and Dale just reiterated the same stuff and I I, I look at it and say that's exactly what's missing and that's the problem we don't do and what I watch is not-for-profits and charities they look at sponsorship as Rachel you called it earlier uh, cash cow opportunities and if they were doing a major gift and if their organizations Sets major gift at ten thousand dollars or twenty five or five hundred. I don't care what it is, but let's use the lower numbers at ten or twenty five thousand dollars. They would expect to not solicit for probably two years, but they would cultivate, start to learn the the, the donors' needs and their objectives and where the linkage is, and ultimately they make the right ask for the right amount of money, but to the right person at the right time by the right person. But and then they get their $25,000. But at the same time, they have a gala or they have a walk or they have a, a program they're looking to name or whatever it is, and they're going to call it $25,000 a year for five years. They'll just take a package and go and pitch it, and they won't sit down and humanize that company and find out what their business goals and objectives are and what their timelines are and what their needs are. They'll just ask them for the money, and that's where the biggest mistake is that we make and if these organizations and charities and not profits would literally go and follow the format for major gifts they would find out that the average timeline in Canada for sponsorship between prospect clearance and closing is 18 to 22 months and that's a timeline and that's what we're failing to do treat companies as humans and treat them under the premise that we need to understand them before we put a proposal in front of them. If you looked at, just to piggyback on what Brent's saying, if you looked at, uh, if you took five or six uh, charitable organizations, not-for-profits across any, any marketplace, I guarantee you that if you lined them all up and you asked them for their corporate and their individual uh, uh, their, their top prospect list corporately and individually, I would bet you the majority of them will have many of the same names just because they're a corporation making money or just because they're an individual or a family within a community that has lots of money. And they have no idea or have no sense of you know, why should we ask that corporation? What is it about that corporation that makes, that, that can make a difference in terms of a partnership with us? Same with an individual. Are they passionately engaged with us? No. Well, then why are they even on the list? Um, you know, just because they have money. Corporately <laughs> or individually, the same. And, and, yeah. and I think it's a huge vein. I think it, it it's a ribbon that flows through, um, from both a board and a uh, development standpoint um, in 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 uh, not-for-profits. You know, I would add here that I think there's a lot of potential with sponsorships um, for, 
if uh, an organization is willing to actually sit and listen, as, as you all said, and understand what objectives this company has or the brand has, what do they want to achieve, and, and not treat them as if that business objective is a bad thing, because it's not a bad thing, um, and then figure out how they actually marry the two, there's a lot of opportunity. You know, how do you want to, you know, come across? How do you, what goals do you want to achieve? And instead, you know, you're typically told, you might get a speaking slot, but please don't pitch your product. Well, I, I'm never going to get up and pitch our product. It's not what I do. I don't think it's appropriate. It's not what I talk about. I have a lot of other things that I think are much more interesting given my role and given, you know, the time on stage that I want to talk about, about the broader issues of the world we live in. And, um, you know, if you have that kind of conversation, you can identify really wonderful things that often are not difficult for the organization to deliver the company, but it takes um, it takes an open-mindedness and it takes a conversation to get there. I use the term that, uh, that they have to, you know, understand the business, but it's it's about truly engaging and interacting. Uh, so that you end up in a scenario that if you can understand, and the phrase is, if you can understand where that company hurts, if you can take away some of that hurt, they will give you money to do so. And if that happens to be we want to increase sales as a company or we want to look good in the community because we're entering it or exiting it or any of these types of things, once you know where that hurt is and you take away the pain, they'll give you money. I've not heard that before. Yeah, I think it's another it's way of saying any of my presentations. That's why, Dale. Never <laughs> <laughs> get invited. That's okay. Oh, <laughs> you'll get an invite now. You'll be inundated. Uh, so yeah, so that's great. Um, so I do like the uh, the fact that we came around to um, the conversation about opportunity, and it's a, it's a positive direction to to look in. We started the conversation with with the idea that the word is widely misunderstood, I might even go as far as to say that there's there's even some nuances amongst the four people on the call, which and we're fairly deep into the field. And so it's interesting that that's something we need to work on uh, and continue to work on, and it's probably a big part of the communication breakdown. Yeah, I, I mean, to, to take this further, I, I, I don't believe there is such a thing as sponsorship. I think it's more corp, uh, strategic philanthropy on, on behalf of a corporation. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, unless it's purely commercial, um, I, I, I think it's far more strategic in terms of partnership. A bulb just went on in my head. Sorry, I, I, I don't want to lose it because I'm, I'm also getting older. Um, the, uh, the bulb went on in my head when you just said that about unless it's purely commercial. And I went to myself, I've yet to see a sponsorship partnership, and I'm using the word sponsorship just to be clear from my perspective, that, that was exclusively commercial. So that, I think that's part of the problem is sometimes we think it's, that's all it is, is commercial. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's if become... you look, if you look at the, you know, all of those uh, exclusive soft drink agreements we did across the country and in the U.S. with with uh, soft Coke drink, Pepsi? yeah, those. I mean, those those are, those are 
Those are commercial agreements. Right. But they also had, they also had scholarships associated with them. So, so that's how they bought the business. Yeah, but they so, but they also they had a slice of improving people's lives. So let me sure. come back I mean, to the corporate philanthropy versus sponsorship versus and and this was and this wasn't my brilliance. This was somebody else's. Uh, but they said to me, it's like a major gift. It's whatever the sponsor slash donor slash corporate entity wants to call it. And I know there used to, used to be a bank in Canada that if you went in and said, I've got a sponsorship, the foundation said, sorry, we don't do sponsorships, we just yeah. do partnerships. Yeah. So you can go talk to our marketing department down the hallway, but they don't have any money because it's already spent. Because yeah. sponsorships are for marketing, partnerships are for community investment. But if you change the word sponsorship, do a search and replace for the word partnership, this is exactly what I want in a partnership. And I, that was kind of where I learned that we can call it whatever we want as an industry, but it's going to be up to the donor or the sponsor or the corporation or the corporate entity that determines what they want to call it. The, Rachel, um, you've been you've been Rachel, you've been sitting back listening to this. Uh, I, I, we're going to have to draw this conversation to a close, but I want to give you the chance to to, to weigh in on what what uh, what we're just talking about right now. If you had, you know, I just had a conversation with one of my colleagues yesterday about this. That that there are things that industry associations, nonprofits, etc. You know, there's language they use, and um, it's not necessarily the language that matches with how we view it or call it internally, or how if we're going to announce that we've done something, that the language we'll use. And we do explain that to them, but, you know, there are some groups where you're a member of their group. There's some where you have to be a friend of. Um, there are all sorts of things. And, and then that's why we're very clear when we announce things, what, how we view it. I don't know if there's ever going to be a complete match because different organizations are kind of at different points in the in the evolution of how they think about whether a sponsor is, uh, you know, of your community or is someone who's kind of on the outside of your community. Huh. That's, I think that's a fantastic observation and it ties right in with what Brent was talking about. Um, so, but I, if... Go, go ahead. Who's that? It, if it's Dale. If, if you I are... If, if the pipeline goes across British Columbia from Alberta, um, who is your, and, and you're looking for sponsorships, who is your focus going to be? <laughs> Given that I live in Charleston, South Carolina, I really can't answer that question. <laughs> but but the, answer, the answer is every energy company that's involved in that pipeline will be giving strategically in terms of philanthropy or sponsorship throughout the communities across uh, across the entire pipeline you betcha absolutely you betcha right and and it'll be different for every community based on um i know the the impacts their needs their approach to the pipeline yeah. Um, that whole aspect. What what happens in communities where that pipeline is in Alberta and where they are in BC may be completely different. Yep, absolutely. And one may be strategic philanthropy, and another may be putting a name on an arena. 
sponsorship. Yeah, yeah great point. So I'm so happy with this podcast because uh, we've had some great podcasts, but it's not too often that we actually get, um, uh, you know, we had a very respectful dialogue, but I wouldn't say we're all marching in the same line. There's some nuances around the edges on how we view these items, and I think that's really healthy and important. So thank you for, for saying things like, I don't completely agree with that. And I was hoping to see that on our podcast more. So you guys really did a great job of that. But I'm also mindful of time. And, uh, you know, no surprise, Dale, you've been on this before. Uh, the, 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 the paths we could go down uh, could make this definitely, uh, you know, a very long, uh, uh, interesting for some podcast. But we like to wrap it up in about an hour. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to think about topics on sponsorship going forward. And I'd be lovely to have all of you back. Um, but I, I, I want to I wanna thank you, uh, Dale, Brent, Rachel. I look forward to when we can have all of you back. But before we go, uh, I want to have uh, each of you a, a chance to tell us a little bit more about what you're working on and, and where people can reach you or what, what's, what's turning your crank. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it over to you, Brent, first. Anything you want our listening audience to know? Uh, I just I think it's, it's a learning. Take from this podcast, uh, take from the discussion that you've heard, that there's a need for, for learning, there's a need for education, there's a need for understanding, and that goes for you as a corporate entity looking at sponsorship or corporate engagement, and it looks, at, looks from your perspective as a not-for-profit, charity, arts organization, whatever, uh, that's trying to get money or sell a sponsorship or a corporate engagement. Try and find the support that you need. Try to educate yourselves and the others that you work with, whether that be the corporation or whether that be the, the property, uh, to understanding sponsorship slash corporate engagement better. Just take, there's lots of opportunities out there. There's, um, the Western Sponsorship Congress runs conferences right across the country now. Uh, I think uh, coming up is Victoria, Atlantic Canada, and Halifax. Uh, September this year is in uh, Ottawa. Um, there's another one in, in Calgary in November. So when you stop to look at these, and there's other ones, uh, Mark Harrison and his company run one up in Whistler this year. They do uh, uh, Canadian Sponsorship Forum. Uh, there's a lot of education out there, and there's companies like ourselves, uh, Dale's and Another one uh, that can help you and your organization to get a better return on your investment, whether you're selling a sponsorship or buying a sponsorship. And I think that that if I can hope that anybody what it, they take away is to become better educated around sponsorship and corporate engagement uh, uh, and how it mixes with your philanthropic programs. Thanks very much, Brent. Uh, where can people reach you? Where's the best, easiest thing to do? They just Google part the, the, the partnership group, or they they can Google partnership group, or they could just go to uh, partnershipgroup.ca. That's partnershipgroup.ca. Uh, or if they're looking for education, uh, sponsorshipcongress.ca. Sponsorshipcongress.ca. Thank you, Rachel. What do you want people to know? What's what's your what's what are you working on that's big and important and fun? Well, I come at this conversation as a corporate social responsibility uh, professional who's really engaged in um, employee engagement and the fact that people today, you know, walk into your building bringing their whole selves to work. You know, they're not kind of leaving who they are in the car. And I think that this conversation actually kind of talks about that in a different way, that, you know, thinking from an organization, not just a company, but an organization's perspective, 
that your workforce is coming to you kind of uh, wired a different way than they used to be. And you need to understand that. And sometimes you need to adjust and shift to, to kind of have that that meeting in the middle. So this is some of what I talked about in my TEDx talk, but I think a lot about this in the context of the future of work, um, and we need to understand the people that make up organizations as we try to be successful in the future. Great point. That demographic shift is coming at us so fast, and uh, so it's so interesting that you brought that up. Thanks, Rachel. Where can people reach you? So um, I'm pretty active on social media. At, at Rachel Hutchison is my Twitter um, account. I'm I'm on LinkedIn. I have a lot of great conversations that have started with people on LinkedIn. Um, oh, and the company is www.blackbot.com. Thank you so much for for that and for everything that Blackbot's doing. Thanks, Rachel. Dale, you get the final word. Uh, what do you want to share with us as you you know you think about? Um, are you semi-retired? Are you are you full? What's going on? I'd like to visit some more marlin and sailfish, that's for sure. Uh-huh. A few uh-huh. more trout. Um, sure. And, and uh, putting some salmon back in our waters. So, um, No, you know what? I'm, we, we've just finished uh, facilitating a, uh, a really special gift, which was uh, Bob Dylan's gift, uh, uh, which is the naming of a business school at the University of Lethbridge in Alberta. And the great thing about that is it's, uh, in terms of celebrating, it's the first Sikh business school, uh, yeah. and, uh, and that's extraordinary. And Bob's an extraordinary guy along with his family. So pretty, uh, pretty interesting one. Um, the other thing, uh, we're doing, Dick Haskane and I at the Haskane School of Business are co-executors, uh, for the, uh, Dr. Margaret Hess estate and, uh, that's been exceptional and exciting, and I've learned a lot about art and uh, uh, <laughs> facilitating facilitating um, this wonderful lady's wishes. Um, yeah, throughout the Rachel, for, for for your benefit, this this wonderful woman, uh, Margaret Marmee, has uh, recent in the last few weeks publicly uh, uh, that her estate uh, gave a, a five million dollar uh, uh, valued a five million dollar gift to the University of Lethbridge of, of her art collection, which is just phenomenal. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It really is. And, you know, others have gone through to the Museum of Anthropology with uh, jewel, uh, Bill Reed and Edenshaw jewelry that's never been seen by the human eye before, things like that. Museum of mm-hmm. History in, in Gatineau and Ottawa, outside of Ottawa, just received couple million dollars worth of extraordinary primitive Inuit art. So just the, that, that's been fun, and, and Dick, Dick Cascade has been a, a treasure to work with, and uh, mm-hmm. so I've enjoyed that. But um, I'll, I'll sort of end it provocatively. Um, I, I, I think that um, very quickly, I think the model's broken in terms of capital uh, or uh, fundraising both individually, family, and, and corporate. Uh, I think we've stopped listening uh, or uh, not-for-profits have stopped listening in terms of and are spending less time stewarding. They talk about it, uh, but they don't do it, and uh, they don't listen to what the needs are of an individual, a family, or a corporation. And uh, we need to start to do that uh, or we're going to see a decline in both uh, philanthropy and, and sponsorship, in, in my humble opinion. 
and uh, we need to stop having um, board members, volunteer board members, make the ask. Um, that model is so broken, and uh, and we need to steward and slow, slow pitch, uh, get to know individuals, families, and corporations a lot better before we make any asks at all. And until we do that, um, five out of six of the times we ask is it's a failure. Hmm. And and those odds are, or those numbers are not good. Thanks so I, for that, Dale. We're, we're, go ahead. I heard I heard that. Yeah, no, uh, I, sorry, agree, I, I agree with uh, I agree with Rachel and and Brent in terms of their comments. Great. Where can people reach you, Dale? Um, D Boniface at give Canada dot ca. Perfect. Um, and uh, our websites, I think, there and up and running. Awesome. Well, thank you again, everyone, for joining us. With that, our gift of another brain trust philanthropy, powered by Vitreo, has been committed. Well, that's about it for this episode of Brain Trust Philanthropy. I hope you will join us next month when our topic will be, Is In-Person Fundraising Dead? How does relationship fundraising change as more and more people give online? Joining us will be Marina Globovac, CEO of Canada Helps, Martha Shoemaker, Incoming Chair of the Association of Fundraising Professionals, and Tanya Koshowski, CEO of Brown Bagging for Calgary's Kids. Talk to you then. Brain Trust Philanthropy is powered by Vitreo and is produced by Lauren McMurray at Alchemy Communications and by me, Vincent Duckworth. Brain Trust Philanthropy is recorded in beautiful downtown Calgary, Alberta. Follow our show and engage with fellow listeners on Twitter at Powered by Vitreo. You can subscribe to Brain Trust Philanthropy on iTunes or by visiting our website at vitreogroup.ca. Wishing all of you success in your mission, peace in your lives, hope in your hearts. I'm Vincent Duckworth.